0: You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season nine, episode 15. Laura Valentine is the artistic director and choreographer for Numinous Flux Dance Company in Nashville, Tennessee. The work she curates is sensory and riddled with humanity, telling stories through the human form and searching for a shared inner movement between herself, those embodying the work, and those making sense of it. She has crafted and produced multiple full-length productions over the past decade, exploring birth, loss, and everything plot-worthy in between. A numinous piece can take years to unveil and unravel and the time invested with the humans involved is a big part of the numinous process. The relationships move the work where they will. In this episode, I talk with Laura about what it means to be a contemplative dance company, the deeper motivations behind her creative work, and what it means for a dancer to have conversations with space. This is my interview with Numinous Flux Artistic Director, Laura Valentine. So I've heard you call Numinous Flux a contemplative dance company. Tell me what that means.
1: I largely steer away from the word contemporary and toward contemplative because it's all about being present. I think that Touch is a big component in making it contemplative, why I consider it so. Because when you're touching someone, you're suddenly aware of your boundary, where you end, where sky begins, where that relationship is, and then you're here, right? Because mm-hmm. you can be nowhere else when you're being touched. We work a lot on the detail of touch, the expression behind it, reaching for someone versus just like, grab them here to lift them. Um, Why are you reaching for them? The moment before the touch, the moment after the touch, the decision to make the touch happen.
0: As you're talking about the element of touch in your choreography, it makes me think of something else I've heard you talk about before, which is the space between dancers. So it seems you're not only choreographing with touch or with what is seen, but you're also choreographing with what is unseen. So I'd love for you to talk to me about this space between the dancers.
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah. We call it in choreography, negative space. And I remember Mr. Rogers, he, he always said like, you know, this space between a child and a television, that sacred space. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's important space. And I feel that way about the space between myself and a dancer, a dancer and another dancer, a dancer and their past or a trauma that's happened to them. That space in between is where it's sacred and it's where the charge happens, right? It's where the energy comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, So whether you're like, if I'm right now, however far I am away from you, however many hours, am I moving towards you with my momentum or away? right, that creates such a, such the conversation. And, I, and I, it's so with movement in a room, right? Two dancers could be far apart, is one traveling away or are they making a traverse toward, or are they still and kind of frozen in time and space? And also just naturally with chemistry between dancers, the space between could be violent, Mm -hmm. even if they're still. Yes, And the space between could be so still and precious, even if they're being violent.
0: One thing that I love about Numinous Flux is that you love dancing in spaces that you don't often see dance happening. I do. Tell me why you love bringing dance to these unconventional spaces.
1: Okay, so theater is a beautiful thing, and I have high respect for the facility that a theater is. Most of the lighting that we do, right, is emulating things that are actually can be found (laughs) outside, right? We want cool blue tones so that we feel like it's dark, so that we feel like, you know, it's an eerie, like, twilight we want warm hues so we feel warmth and um you know so that we feel like it's midday heat or whatever it is so my brain says why can't we feel that and then move after we feel that you know why can't it be that the sun is rising and our body is dawning with it why can't it be that the sun is setting and my heart is laying down to rest you know why can't I put it in the earth as the earth inspired it? I love an uneven ground. My dancers must hate it. Surely they hate it, but they are so kind and generous spirits and they find ways to say, it's actually really beautiful dancing in the mud, you know? My feet were slipping everywhere and it was real when you asked me to fall. So when they fall, I say do that. Every time, you know, if if mistakes are made, mistakes were not mistakes at all. They were the most beautiful and lucky happening.
0: So it's almost like your dance and your productions are having conversations with space.
1: Yes, that's a great way to put it. The relationship between dancers is as important as the relationship between myself and the ground I stand on. Gravity is huge for dancers. So you put a dancer on a flat surface, they can do a lot with gravity. You put them on a hill, oh my God, they can do (laughs) so much more because the hill is performing. Yes. And the hill is speaking to them and telling them, no, don't go there. You can only go here. So then the choreography has to submit to the hill, which I love. Mm -hmm. I can't control it. I don't want control.
0: One question I wanted to ask you is like all performance art, the work that you do is there in a moment and then it's gone. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how this temporal nature of what you do impacts your creative process. Like Hmm. this whole idea of there's something that's there, you experience it in time and then it's gone. How does that impact you as a choreographer?
1: Yeah. I think that brings me back to that word contemplative too. But yeah, the unrepeatable nature of the work that we do certainly has an impact on me as life does. I'm here and then I'm gone, period. I mean, I'm not, you know, the impermanence of things is what makes them beautiful, right? That we lose Mm -hmm. them, that they go, that they move on from us. I think emotion itself, emotion. What "emo" immo, "emovier" is that the Latin root? "Emovier" "emovier" is uh, to move out, right? So you feel it, and then it, it, you know, you send it on its way, and you and you feel something else. Emotion is unrepeatable. So I think the impact on me as an artist is like I identify with that nature in myself and I, and I feel comfortable in it. Like this is never going to happen again. Like I'm, I'm never going to be the, the person that can get a tattoo. I love them on other people, <laughs> but I cannot wash it off. No, hell yes. no. So I think that, that is me as an artist, right? It's like yeah. I, nothing will be per, a permanent fixture.
0: Yes. That's one thing that makes this art form a sacred moment. And, when I've performed as a musician or when I've attended a performance, I feel that, that we're in the midst of something that is here and then it will pass, but somehow hidden in the midst of that, we get a glimpse of something greater, maybe of something that that doesn't move. Mm-hmm. And I think that's some of the intersections between the invisible and the visible that you even tackle uh, in the work that you do.
1: That's beautiful. Yeah, what stays, yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. I love what you've said before that movement is like poetry for you. Tell me how movement becomes poetry in your experience.
1: I think that when you read a really good poem, it alters your breath. Um, You sigh or you gasp or you breathe more steady a good haiku and so does dance right yes so alters your breath so that's one way for sure just the the physicality physiological change that happens in the body but also in a good poem that's formatted on a page the space is as important as the lettering Mm -hmm. the title or lack thereof is architecture really word architecture and dance is I think the space is like the canvas or the page, the movement, each gesture a letter, and then the partnering or the collaborative effort or the contact, uh, whether it be improvisational or choreographed, is a string of words, making a sentence or a phrase, and then each one drawing you closer and closer, nearer and nearer to something, much like a poem. You're noticing and then you're drawn towards something.
0: I love that. You're noticing and then you're drawn towards something. One of the characteristics of Numinous Flux is that you have these gorgeous narratives. And when I've seen you perform, I get so drawn in to the storylines because they seem very personal, they seem very intimate. And I know that you've told me before you draw from your own personal experiences and and a lot of the narratives that you write tend to come from your own experiences. I'd love to know more about how the things you walk through end up on the stage and end up in the narratives and the choreography that you write.
1: So I think there's storytelling and then there's what You know, I have the privilege of experiencing, which is story experiencing, story feeling, story doing. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When you tell a story in words, you know, there's this whole world of interior imagery that that floods the space, the page. When you embody a story, you are the imagery. (laughs) You you are enacting the event. So theater is really beautiful and powerful for that reason. Dance takes it into a, di- a little bit of a different place because I am not just interacting with an actor in, in verbally. I am now sensing and experiencing the feeling of the event, whether it be traumatic, joyful, whatever the energy was that, that produced the conflict or the resolve, I'm embodying a piece of that, and I'm responding in real time to another body. That's, so that is like, that's life. That's the art of being.
0: <laughs> I hear it as dance exists somewhere between storytelling and theater. Perhaps it's a nonlinear interpretation of your own personal experience. Yes. So do the characters and the themes that you create reflect your own internal struggles and experiences?
1: Yes. The majority of the work that I do and have done is coming from, you know, a space of holding up a trauma to the light and saying, like, what do I do to wrestle this or render it useful or meaningful or beautiful, render it to beauty?
0: So then some of your work is working through your own pain or your own struggles there's a redemptive element to it then
1: oh yeah i had a therapist actually tell me that movement in the brain is what dislodges trauma so like the trauma is actually housed in a certain spot in the brain so you can do like brain spotting or emdr and and actually you want to move that trauma physically out of that cellular rigidity wow so You know, the concept to me was like brain spotting is like watching a finger. Why not watch a dancer? You know, I mean, it's not therapy, but it certainly has done something to dislodge trauma in me and just movement in general lends itself to like getting out of that frozen fight, flight or freeze, you know, out of that frozen nature.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, when we are experiencing some sort of negative emotion or some, whether it's some sort of grief or some sort of pain or heartbreak or burnout or whatever it might be, you often feel stuck. People will use that word, stuck. You feel like you, you're caught in place. You can't get out, you can't move. But like, I've never thought about dance as the antithesis of that. Even as I'm saying this, my hands are going everywhere, you know? Oh
1: yeah, oh uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Is, is that true for your experience then?
1: Absolutely. I think there's such a different nature to being frozen and being still and being still right. Silence. That's the, that's the goal, right. Is to become still, but in between those two things, there has to be some sort of flux. There has to be some sort of, um, whether it's a scream or a shake or a pulling or a pushing and, you know, to get out of that entanglement, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So that
1: you can float. Because you're not floating when you're stuck. You're being held down
0: or in. One thing that I believe the voice of the artist and the voice of the dancer and the, the voice of the poet, the musician, one, one thing that we have right now is the ability to be that voice of healing and the ability to be that voice of offering shared experience and, um, you know, even through giving voice to some of the darker emotions and some of the darker experiences that I think in our own way we've all gone through over these past couple of years, it really enables us to come out to a place of redemption, to come out to a place of healing, and to also offer the audiences a ray of hope. Mm-hmm. I just imagine when you go through this experience in your creative process and then you perform this to an audience, you get to invite the audience into that journey with you. Mm -hmm. You get to invite the audience, and and by way of collaboration with the audience, in a sense, I would think the audience then gets to experience some of that release, even as you experience that release through the work.
1: I have been surprised and continue to be surprised by by that happening yes lots of criers after shows and I what a gift like collect them like those tears like gift because I think that is their movement right it's coming out of their bodies through tears it's like they're moving with us and that's just showing like something in me moved the same way as it did in you like I, you know you don't See someone like lift their leg up in the air and you know turn their foot in and then like (laughs) like (laughs) violently toss their bodies around. You're like I've done that exact thing, but you do say I feel that.
0: Yes, I know
1: that awkwardness in me. I remember that anxiety, or it just it bypasses the like analytical side of the brain and goes straight to the heart. Mm -hmm. And that that's the shared inner movement piece, right? Is like. The audience is gifting the dancers with their presence, just like I use that like pearl metaphor, like the, you know, the things that just tear away and slowly over time create this beautiful pearl. It's all the room, the theater, the hill, whatever it is, it's all a part of creating that one pearl together.
0: Well, I know that there's a faith component that motivates much of your creative work, in fact, the word numinous itself means filled with a sense of the presence of divinity or holy, appealing to the higher emotions. So I'd be curious to know, how would you describe the role that faith plays in your creative process?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked this question. I wanna say that the word is faith that I wanna highlight, but it's, it's just not, the word is trust for me. I think faith is a beautiful word. I think that my work, it's my road to trusting God. Mm -hmm. And I fall and I mess up and I doubt and I weep at the beauty. I do all of these things, but it is all in very, very close relation to him for me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm screaming at him, banging my fists on the floor like a toddler and sometimes i'm giving him the silent treatment if i'm being (laughs) honest yes and sometimes i am having a glass of wine with him and just in awe of what he's doing inside of me and outside of me but i think it's so deeply personal for me that it's hard i don't cast that net on the other people in the company I'll say like, I was praying this morning and I heard this, but I don't require of them that they they have, that they share my level of trust or my style of trust in God. That's good. In fact, I learn more about trusting God through letting the work go to other hands to be performed. You know, that, that's in and of itself, that's such an act of trust. Like, this is my experience and i'm going to not just give it to you to perform but i'm going to let you fold your experience in oh, and so cook good. it add some heat and then share it yeah i mean tr- talk about trusting god you have to
0: totally yeah
1: because i'm like well that's my memory but it's not now we all now we all share this memory this is all of us
0: well I can't end the interview without dropping at least one theological consideration for us. And one of the theological concepts that I've always enjoyed is the Trinity. What I love is that the early church fathers had this word to understand the Trinity, this three-in-one. And it's the word perichoresis. Yes, right? I do yeah. know this. Uh, yeah, all yes. right, you're familiar with this, all right? This well, is I good. learned
1: it through Richard Rohr. The yeah, Richard
0: Rohr brought it out. Uh, Timothy yeah. Keller, I think, is is one that talked about it. Beautiful. But that's the word that we get choreography from, and so I yes. love that in the very fabric of the faith there is this this image of choreography and collaboration.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, two things come to mind. One. Um, is the space between and one is the space that each takes up and i love this as a dance because it's not static how can you like as a human that's experiencing these highs and lows how can you trust a static god to pick you up or to step underneath of you Wow. I mean, you we need those levels, right? Yes. So then in a trinitarian family of figures, there's so much room to trust. Yes. Because everywhere you turn and fall, this is a, an exercise we do in dance. Like, I'll say like, okay, everyone walk aimlessly around in this very small space, and then at one point, at each person will need to to shout out the word me or I. And when they do, everyone else immediately comes to to rescue that person as they fall. So they say I and they fall as if their knees had buckled and everyone catches them. There's so much space to trust when there's this Trinitarian family surrounding you that's in movement, in flux, so that you can fall any which way. And even if it's like, oh, I almost feel like I almost hit the ground that time or like I did hit the ground that time. And then there he is with a hand extended, mm-hmm. you know, or or there the Holy Spirit is like a blanket or there your father is to like, just sit or lay next to you Yeah, on the ground. I mean, it's such a dance.
0: Yes, it's so good. And I I love how even going back to a scriptural reference, anytime the spirit is mentioned in scriptures, it's always in movement. It's always in motion. It's like the spirit hovering (sighs) above the waters, the spirit fluttering like a dove is another image. You know, there's always this movement. It's like the wind is another metaphor that the scripture uses. And I just love how all of creation is a dance and the very spirit mm. is in motion, you know, isn't yeah. that beautiful?
1: Movement is the sign of life. Mm-hmm. Oh, are they moving? Are they breathing? That, I mean, that's right. literally how we detect if something is living.
0: Yes. So good. Well, for some reason in our conversation, I keep thinking about this book, titled Healing Fiction by James Hillman. And Mm. I love this book. It's, It's been such an incredible resource for me. But I'm looking here on page 74 and I just happened upon this section right here. And I don't even know how I got here. I just opened to page 74 and I see that I underlined this sentence. And it says, the origin of the word numinous Newman refers to the animation of an image. Is that crazy or what? Mm.
1: Mm. The
0: origin of the word numinous is Newman, and it refers to the animation of an image. And then he's talking about, the author's talking about the experiences that we go through heal through our imagination, that our imagination actually creates images like clothing in a sense, or like to give flesh to the experiences we go through. And he says, Mm. they are numinous because they are animated, soul charged, whether shaped into Mm. external icons or imagined and spoken within soul. Isn't that beautiful?
1: That is so beautiful and so perfectly fitting.
0: They are numinous because they are animated, soul charged. I love that. And so I think that, Numinous Flux is rightly titled. You guys are, you're animated, you're healing these experiences into the motions and the movements of your choreography. And uh, I love it. Beautiful. This has been amazing. And we're gonna put links in the show notes of this episode so folks can connect with Numinous Flux. And I'm looking forward to our next collaboration whenever that may be. And just thank you for being on Makers and Mystics with me today.
1: Thank you as well, Stephen. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach, with music provided by Sean Williams and Songs of Water. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to Numinous Flux, as well as links to join the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to our monthly contributors. You enable me to continue the production of these episodes. If you're currently not a patron and enjoy these weekly conversations, please consider joining our creative collective at patreon.com today. For a small donation, you'll receive additional content, access to our private online community, and most importantly, you'll encourage artists of faith around the world to keep creating. We'll see you again next week for our season finale episode. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art.